The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. When you're reading the morning newspaper these days, every headline ought to come with a warning. And it's found in the prophet Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Friends, we're in the midst of a titanic spiritual battle of darkness versus light. Hello, I'm Christine Darig, and today we're in Cairo, Egypt. During the annual Islamic Fasting Month, Muslims observe Ramadan with special nighttime meals, and they display colorful fabrics and decorations. The main symbol of Ramadan here in Egypt is a luminous lantern. Cairo nights are filled with these lanterns. The special Ramadan lantern is called the Fanus. It's a colorful Middle Eastern style lamp to light up the nights of feasting after days of fasting. Now the word fanus is of Greek origin, meaning light or lantern. The traditional use of the fanus during Ramadan is believed to have originated during the Islamic Caliphate in Egypt. According to tradition, the Caliph was greeted by Egyptians with lanterns to celebrate his arrival at Cairo during Ramadan. In almost all Muslim countries, Fanu's lanterns can be found everywhere in houses, restaurants, hotels, and malls. These pretty lanterns brought to my mind the famous painting by William Holman Hunt of Jesus called The Light of the World. The original painting is located in a chapel at Oxford University. And Hunt said he painted the picture by divine command, and not simply as just a good idea. He also painted a life-size version, which is hung in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It was put there after a world tour, during which the painting drew large crowds and attention. In the allegory in this painting, the Lord holds a fanuse, the Middle Eastern lamp, in one hand, and he's knocking on an overgrown and long, unopened door. This, of course, illustrates Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The door in the painting has no handle and can only be opened from the inside. This represents the obstinate shut mind. But because of the lantern, which is the symbol of Ramadan, I believe this painting is the perfect picture to offer hope and salvation for any Muslim who's truly seeking God during Ramadan or any time around the year. Of course, for many, Ramadan is not just a religious holiday. It's a time to feast all night long with family and friends. Many restaurants are open for business and dancing late into the night. And more than 40 soap operas absorb the time and attentions of the people. All over the Middle East, Arabs are addicted to these soap operas. In the streets of Cairo 
are lined with advertisements for them. But God promises through the prophet Joel in this Bible that in the last days he will pour out his spirit upon all people. And indeed, because Muslims are continually experiencing so many dreams and visions of Jesus in the mercies of God, I'm praying that the Lord Jesus, Yeshua Messiah is his name in Arabic, will visit every home with his lantern of love this Ramadan. There's one event during the Ramadan month called the Night of Power. This comes near the end of the month of fasting. In Arabic, it's called Laylat al-Qadr, or Night of Destiny, when many Muslims I have spoken to especially have encountered the risen Lord Jesus in dreams and visions because they've been seeking revelation from God on that night. Many Muslims pray in the night for mercy, for forgiveness and salvation. So let's pray that they may encounter the light of the world, the risen Lord Jesus, whose presence is brighter than the sun itself. In fact, three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. He said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Lord made this famous I am declaration about being the light of the world at dawn and at the time of sunrise when he was teaching in the Jewish temple. He was surrounded by a crowd, and as the sun rose, he testified that he is the world's light. What the sun is to the physical world, Jesus is surely to the moral world. The world itself is morally dark, and unfortunately it seems to be growing darker by the day. Well, for years we've been declaring an important prophecy over Israel and over this entire region. From Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 2, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And never has it been more important to declare these words of faith. Isaiah 60 certainly describes a time when gross darkness will spread across the world. But hallelujah, God's response is to shine his light of revival upon Israel and all the surrounding region of the Middle East, including Egypt, mentioned in the great prophetic chapter, Isaiah 19. Specifically in this chapter, God promises that he will save Egypt, Assyria, and Israel. These three nations are coming increasingly into focus and into being, even in perilous times. A number of years ago, the Lord began to send us on prayer assignments here to Egypt and in the surrounding nations. And we discovered the amazing prophecies contained in Isaiah 19 concerning a highway that God will build in the last days between Egypt, Israel, and Assyria. Right now, I want to take you on a journey along that highway. 
I felt compelled on many occasions to build up this highway in prayer and prophetic acts. Our teams often prayed verses such as Exodus chapter 3 and verses 7 to 8, where God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I have come down to deliver them. God heard the cries of his people in the past, and he hears the cries today of people in religious bondage, and he is present to deliver them by the power of his Holy Spirit. As you and I pray, I was continually directed by the Holy Spirit to Isaiah chapter 19, this chapter about Israel and the Arabs living in peace, and to my Arab friends who were bewildered by the return of the Jewish people to the Holy Land. I've always been explaining the Isaiah 19 highway that God intends for Israel, Egypt, and Assyria to be a blessing together in the earth. And over the past couple of decades, the Lord has called us to hold some bold exploits with gospel tents, both here at the pyramids and also at other fortresses in Cairo. But we hadn't visited Egypt since the Arab Spring Revolution in 2011, when this nation almost descended into civil war. And, persecu and persecution against Christians by Muslims has been fierce. And had it not been for the prayers of the body of Messiah, who knows how far events would have spiraled out of control. But the Muslim Brotherhood's leader was toppled and a more moderate leader, President el-Sisi, rose to power. Sisi has shown considerable warmth towards the Coptic Christian community, which comprises the largest Christian population here in the Middle East. President Sisi has bravely called for reforms in Islam. He is keeping a lid on things, but we must pray that his political advisors will not prevent him from making more efforts to protect Egypt's 20 million Christians. Recently, we met with staff from Cairo's leading evangelical church called the Church of the Revolution because of its proximity to Tahrir Square, where Arab Spring demonstrations took place. Before the revolution, evangelical churches weren't well known, but during the revolution, the Lord elevated this church because it opened its doors and it became a field hospital for the injured. The church staff welcomed demonstrators and offered counsel and encouragement amid the chaos. The church's senior pastor spoke words of wisdom to radical Islamists, and he ministered comfort to the bereaved. Many Muslims now attend the overflow services. Well, all revivals begin in prayer and we held prayer meetings in Jerusalem for 10 years on one theme, and that was the irreversible overthrow of the powers of darkness that are holding a billion souls captive. And all of our prayers have been stored in the golden bowls of heaven for the right time. And it's no coincidence that Cairo's Evangelical Church also held revival prayer meetings for at least 10 years on Monday nights. We heard from Egyptian leaders that the church in Egypt is united as never before. 
This is because the powers of darkness always overplay their hand. Heightened persecution and unspeakable atrocities have resulted in the unification of the body of Messiah. Pastors who previously enjoyed no fellowship together are now coming together in humility, and they have been literally washing one another's feet. According to Isaiah 19, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel shall be saved. And Egypt is certainly ripe for the gospel. The indigenous Coptic believers embrace miracles and the supernatural, but they're also taught a balanced gospel. They're taught to live their lives as potential martyrs in a Muslim-dominated society. And that's why the 23 Coptic martyrs who were beheaded by ISIS terrorists died with such dignity, calling upon the name of the Lord. You see, before there was Islam, Christianity was in Egypt. Because of the apostolic visit of St. Mark to Alexandria, and the descendants of Mark's converts are today the Coptic Church, the largest Christian denomination in the Mideast. The history of the Coptic Church is full of saints and martyrs, miracles and healings, monastic exploits in the desert, signs and wonders. The gospel is being demonstrated here in powerful ways during many revivals within the historic Coptic Church. And I've been following these revivals for over three decades. One of the first revivalists was Father Zechariah, who became the leading TV evangelist in the Arab world. Many of these Coptic priests are truly consecrated men and very powerful exorcists. In fact, Jesus promised in Mark 16, 17, in my name, believers shall cast out demons. For example, Coptic priest Father Makari Yunan uses Yeshua Messiah, the name of Jesus the Messiah, to cast out demons. In fact, so many people seek his ministry that the elderly priest uses more than one method to reach the masses. At times, he throws out consecrated water to strike the crowd, or he blows upon them a type of breathing of the Holy Spirit like Jesus did to the disciples in John chapter 20 and verse 22. Father Macari also lays his hands upon people, as in Mark 16, 18, and he always holds a cross in one of his hands. But most importantly, his primary method is commanding Satan to leave in the name of Jesus. And spontaneous worship songs are part of the spiritual atmosphere, so the Holy Spirit is free to operate to deliver the people. I asked a Christian leader in Cairo why the government allows Father Makari Yunan to remain in ministry in Egypt when many are persecuted for their faith and even kicked out of the country. And the leader answered, because they are afraid of him. Well, how refreshing is that? Yes, we ministers of the gospel are supposed to be as bold as a lion. Is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? Have you cast out any demons lately? In fact, I looked up in the book of Acts, chapter 5 and verse 13, 
which says that one of the characteristics of the bold early church is that they were feared. Acts 5.13 records that none of the other people dared to come near the believers, but the people were magnifying them. How different it is with our worldly churches in the West. We have so much to learn from our Egyptian brethren. Lord, have mercy. Well, the God of Israel will be increasingly at war with the powers of darkness in the Middle East because of his covenant promises to revive Israel, Egypt, and Assyria. He will put down the powers of darkness when Messiah returns in a blaze of glory. Even now, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness just doesn't comprehend it. Unfortunately, most men still prefer darkness to light. This is because, as Paul taught in Ephesians 6.12, our wrestling, our struggle in this life is not against human beings, but against the powers of darkness. Nevertheless, the God of Israel is determined to rescue souls that are trapped in darkness. And he wants to use you and me as their evangelists and intercessors. Our mission possible, should we choose to accept it, is to rescue souls from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, the light of the world. When I used to be part of Reinhard Barnke's team in Africa countless times, I heard him preach on Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. I can never read that verse without thinking of him, such a powerful man of God. Like the Coptic evangelists in Egypt and other fearless preachers, God is calling believers to shine the Lord's light into the darkness of this world. You see, light itself is an emblem of purity. And Jesus' life was the epitome of purity. I challenge you today to take seriously the words of Jesus that he is the only true light of this world. The Lord's predecessor, John the Baptist, the Lord's herald, John the Baptist, was a bright and a shining light. The prophets, the apostles, and the reformers were also luminaries, but they only reflected the light of Messiah. Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, is the great and only inexhaustible source of light. He is the original source. He is the true light. And Jesus, Yeshua, is the light of the whole world, not just a part of the world. He is the light of the whole human family. There's not one sun for Europe and another sun for Asia, but there's one sun for the world. And Jesus is the one sufficient light of the moral world. And he's more than enough. As a prophet, the whole human family may sit at his feet and learn truth from him. As Lord and King, he rules over all nations. And as high priest, he intercedes before God for every human being on earth. The sacrifice he presents for our sins is sufficient. That sacrifice is his own pure, sinless blood. And every human being on this planet, including you, has a right 
to have our sins atoned for by his precious blood. It's the solemn duty of the world to follow him. And furthermore, Jesus challenges every one of his disciples to be like him. In Matthew 5, 14, he made this amazing statement. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So you and I are destined to be shining lights also in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You see, it's a grave concern to any consecrated believer how quickly our society is changing, moment by moment, and clearly for the worst. As some theologians have described it, we live in a post-Christian culture in which divorce, remarriage, cohabitating without marriage, transgender trends, homosexuality, and bestiality are accepted as alternative lifestyles. Apostasy is rife in the denominational churches. So how are we to somehow coexist? Some have an escapist mentality, just crying all the time, come Lord Jesus, get us out of here. And others are becoming dangerously militant, but I believe the scriptures provide the correct answer. In a letter written by Paul to a church that lived in a pre- Christian culture. The Philippians lived in a city that was heavily influenced by the the pagan Roman culture with all of its immorality, just like today. And in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 12 uh, to 16, Paul wrote the sort of counsel that I believe he would write today. The first thing we're admonished to do is to take care of our own souls to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. The word fear in connection with God is not a popular concept today, but Jesus certainly taught the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is simply having a holy, reverential honor of God in all that we do, say, and think. Well, in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, Paul advises us to do our duty without murmurings and disputings, to mind our work and not to quarrel with others, to be peaceful and give no occasion for offense. The children of God should be different from the sons of men. The more perverse others are, the more careful we should be to keep ourselves blameless and harmless. The steady example of consistent believers will enlighten others and direct, hopefully, their way to Messiah and to a life of holiness. So let us shine without murmuring and disputing. I really hate the spirit of disputing that's in the world. People want to dispute all the time on Facebook and on the Internet, which is such a time waster. Living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation can easily get us down. So if we're not careful, we can become constant complainers. But we can't allow that to happen because murmuring, don't forget, led to Israel's downfall with God in the desert. Recently, I saw an Orthodox Jew selling tracts outside of Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem. And one of his tracts was called Stop Crying. I liked it very much because it was all about the sin of murmuring and complaining and 
being unsatisfied with God's blessings. We were exhorted to always be thankful. If the body of Messiah is going to influence the world, it cannot be devouring one another through destructive forces like murmuring and disputing among ourselves all the time. We should live in such a way that we have no outstanding faults, that we're ready for the Lord's coming at any moment, and that we are without inconsistency and hypocrisy. All of these stop us from shining as lights. Paul said we're also required to be harmless. We may firmly oppose sin in all forms, but sinners should never fear bodily harm from believers. Many so-called Christians appear to be using old covenant methods in their efforts to change others in picket lines, but we should never threaten bodily harm. On the contrary, as Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, we're to be wise as serpents and harmless, innocent as doves. And if we're to really shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, let's review what we're taught in Philippians chapter 2, which, don't forget, was written in a pre-Christian culture. We are to shine lights as lights, first of all, by making sure of our own salvation through faith in Messiah, having repented and gone through the waters of baptism, and maintaining a holy fear of God and allowing God to work in us, and then going about our lives without murmuring and disputing, as children of God without fault. And verse 16 says, importantly, holding fast to this word of life. That phrase, holding fast the word of life, can also mean holding forth, meaning giving this word to others. So this means partly that we will profess this word publicly, but we will live our lives and conduct our conversations in a manner that's suitable to the gospel to influence others. And so having done all of these things, we know that we will not run our course or labor in vain. Amen. Well, at this time, I'd like to give you an opportunity to invite the light of the world, Jesus the Messiah, into your heart for personal illumination, salvation, and eternal companionship beginning now. Like that famous painting you mentioned at the beginning of the program, Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart even now. His lantern is in his hand. And if you invite him into your life, you will never walk in darkness. So would you make that most important decision now to open the door of your heart to Jesus? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Shine your light into my heart. It illumined my darkness. Amen. Well, if you'd like to view this program again, or if you'd like to watch other programs concerning Israel or divine healing or understanding the times, you can stay in contact through our social media or visit our website daily, exploits.tv. We invite you to click online to receive a free copy of our color magazine, Exploits. And on our website, you can explore our archive of past videos and you'll find daily news updates and commentaries about important events, as well as details of our prayer convocations in the Holy Land. 
And so until next time, earnestly contending for the faith and reminding you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem from the Isaiah 19 highway, I'm Christine Darig. Shalom. Since we started the Jerusalem channel less than two years ago, the word has certainly spread far and wide. Acts 1.8 is our ministry mandate. First in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. Over the internet, we have a global audience that wants to know the Word of God and to better understand in time events. As you can see from this analysis, people from many nations are joining us for these exploits programs. But each time someone views the channel, the video streaming costs are a real expense. It's much cheaper than satellite TV, but we still need to produce and stream these broadcasts. That's why I would urge you to help us. You can call us in the United States at our toll-free number, 888-245-2692, or in the United Kingdom at our national number, 843 557 4077. With a credit or debit card, you can also click the donate button on our website. Thank you for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel's mandate. As Daniel 11:32 proclaims, those who know God will be strong and do exploits. Please keep us and Exploits TV, the Jerusalem Channel, in your prayers so that we can reach the world through the internet and by YouTube, Roku, and Google TV.